Well, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh him, taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make, the, make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. So Jesus is taking them up there, and right in front of them, he it does the transfiguration, and he becomes whiter, and it's, he's got this raiment on, and there's nothing on earth that would be as white as this raiment was because they said no man on earth could have done it. Uh, so this probably would have almost been a white that would almost hurt the eyes. It was just super white. But he sees, but they saw Elias speaking with Mo, Elias and with Moses, and they were speaking with Jesus. Well, Peter, as he is known to do, he ends up he just speaks out of fear just says something and uh didn't says you know he just didn't really understand what he was saying as we can all relate to and have done at some time in the past but this was also a common thing around this time period because they were still learning about jesus this was the first time jesus had stepped down to the earth in fact jesus was having to talk to him in matthew that uh he was telling them that, you know, don't go back to your father Abraham. He's basically telling them, I'm here. They were looking to David as David was the Messiah, but he would say, no, he said to me, Lord. So he's telling them that he was the predestinated one and the one that they were talking to was him. And here at this time, people would get to studying and they would get to look to Elias and Moses. It's like, well, what is what does Moses do? What I mean, we need to learn this Moses. And... Uh, but no, in fact, what, they, what we, the only thing the Holy Spirit can reveal to us is that we have to learn Jesus. And eventually, once we can see Jesus in His glory, when we go back and we read those things, then we will start to see Jesus. Just like yesterday with uh, Elder Dave, Danny Wiser, they, the Song of Solomon is a very hard book to understand, no doubt. But, and you won't see Jesus listed anywhere in there, but he could see the parallels and how he was writing of himself just for us to see in old times. But uh, as they go on, before he, he wist not what to say, for they were so afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked around about, they saw no no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. And I guess I kind of got ahead of myself a minute ago, but yeah, that's, that's the only true reference, the only true God. The Son, of man, the Son of God was sent for us to have that reference point to always go to that when, when, when we're sitting the messed up or something, it's like, well, Lord, what am I doing wrong? We can never ask, Lord, what did you do wrong? Because he did everything right and is still doing everything right a lot of them a lot of day. So I guess now 
the newly ordained elder, elder Josh can come, but uh, we also need to be praying for him and uh, that the uh, Lord have his will with him. Uh, Brother Bubba, do you mind opening us in prayer? morning. It is good to be back here with you, Matheny. Matheny, I said it. It's good to be back here at Buffalo with you all. It's good to see each and every one of you. I I do want to start out by saying thank you uh, for the ones that did come uh, to the ordination last week. Uh, I do very much appreciate uh, your support, um, your love, and most of all, your prayers. And uh, that's what I desire this morning from you as I stand before you is your prayers. Uh, I'm going to let you know that I have prayed for you. Uh, the people here at Buffalo, y'all, y'all held a special place in my heart. And when I think of this place, I, I can see your faces. And I try to think on your faces, and I try to pray for you. Um, that the Lord would be merciful uh, to this church, to each and every one of you. And along those same thoughts, that kind of goes along with what's on my mind this morning. This morning, I would like to go to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> a little setup, if you will, a little background on the church of Corinth. The church of Corinth was... Uh, In this day, in the first century church, in the first century, if you will, the first year after Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven, the church of Corinth, uh, or the city, nation, um, area of Corinth, if you will, was kind of like a modern-day America. Uh, They had plenty of commerce, they had plenty of culture, they had plenty of money, uh, they were a very busy place, they had a lot of distractions, and so that's why Paul, uh, inspired by the Holy Ghost, wrote two different letters to the church of Corinth because they had a lot of problems. Uh, they had a lot of issues because uh, we know as well as anyone that, you know, if there's uh, people in the church, uh, you know, the church will have issues here and there because the church is filled with sinners. We're a bunch of sinners. Uh, I stand before you, a sinner. And... If you get anything out of this message today, don't look at this man that stands before you. Look, put your eyes to Jesus because He is the one that will anoint the words that will come out of my mouth and He will be the one, if you receive anything of this, that will anoint your ears to your heart to receive it. So give Him all the glory today if you do get anything out of this. But this church was dealing with their own issues and they had many, many issues. Go read the two books of Corinthians. A lot of issues. But he gets here down close to the end of the first book that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And there was a false doctrine that was going around that church at that time. And they had been 
falsely taught by others that were outside of the church, uh, and it had made its way into the church, that there was no resurrection of the dead. There was uh, another church that dealt with this same problem. The church at Thessalonica. They dealt with the exact same problem. And and Paul had to write uh, two smaller letters to that church and to explain to them that this false doctrine that there was no resurrection of the dead was just that. It's false. And so we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And chapter 15 is more or less dedicated uh, where Paul dedicates his message to teaching them that the resurrection is real. And the resurrection of the dead is going to happen. And he begins the first verse of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He says it like this. Or begins like this, if you will, in this chapter. He says, moreover, brethren. Now I want you all to catch that. He's not writing to the world out there. He's not writing to just uh, anybody and everybody out there walking the streets. No, he's, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And then he describes even a closer uh, audience, if you will. He says, brethren, we are brothers and sisters this morning. I hope y'all realize that. We're a bunch of different families, even though I understand that a lot of you are related, but you're not all related. Ain't none of you related to me except these two down here. But we're all related in Christ. We're a big family right here this morning. You're my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul begins here. He says, more of our brethren. I declare unto you the gospel. Notice he doesn't say that uh, this is a proposition or this is available for your understanding. No, he says, I declare unto you. You know, I preached here the first Sunday in uh, July where we uh, celebrated the 4th of July, which is Independence Day, where our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. They declared to all other nations that we were sovereign. It wasn't an offering. They didn't, they didn't ask the other countries if they agreed. No, they just declared something. Notice he says that. I declare unto you the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Notice the good news. It's the news. Who is the news? The news is Jesus. The news, the good news, is what Jesus has accomplished. The brother went to the Mount of Transfiguration there. Uh, In another place it talks about when Jesus was talking to Moses and Elijah, they were talking about His death in which He should accomplish. His death was accomplishing something. When He hung on the cross of Calvary, He yelled with a loud voice, it is finished. I'd say that's accomplished, amen? That's the news. That happened way back in time. 2,000, over 2,000 years ago. And yeah, we're still telling the news this morning, aren't we? 
But us telling the news doesn't change whether or not the news has happened, is it? No, we're just declaring something that has happened. Amen. It's a declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ and His accomplishment at Calvary. That's what the Gospel is. But notice this. He says, I declare unto you the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which I preached unto you. He preached this, now he's declaring it in a letter unto him. And he says, which also you have received. He, he trusted these brothers and sisters in Christ that would read this, that they were born again of the Spirit. They had received this with glad hearts. This was glad tidings from a far country. He says, you have received this, and wherein ye stand. Where do you stand today, folks? Do you stand on the rock of Jesus Christ? Do you stand on that foundation? Because I'm going to tell you, if you don't stand on that foundation, and you're out here and you're trying to walk through the world and do your own thing, but you're not standing on that rock, I'm going to tell you what, you're standing on sand. And we went to the beach a couple of weeks ago, and it's so amazing. The Lord showed me how... Just life is such a vapor. I was standing on the beach. I had my toes in the sand, which is always a good place to be for y'all that like the beach. And then as I was just standing there, I took one step back and I looked down. I saw my, my footprints. And I just kind of looked at them. And I was like, you know, that's kind of like my life right there. I made an impression. And then it went just a few seconds. Here comes a wave. And it came up and it washed him and it was gone. When we leave this earth, I'm going to tell you what. <clears throat> unless the Lord has blessed us <clears throat> to, I believe, do something magnificent for Him and for His glory, we'll be forgotten. It's amazing. It really is. My, I've lost all my grandparents but one. And... You know, I, and they still stay with me. You know, I still think about them, and I still remember them. But you know, I think about how many things I have forgotten about them, and I was close to them. Because, see, that's the way we are. That's the way this wor world works. When they leave, when we leave this earth, I'm going to tell you, we will be forgotten. Eventually, amen. But he says, this is where you stand. This gospel, this good news, this Jesus. This is where you stand. And then he says this. He says, by which also you are saved. Okay? There's a salvation. There's a deliverance in this. He says, but he puts a condition on it. He says, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. I want to talk to you this morning about gospel salvation. I want to talk to you this morning about gospel deliverance. What does the gospel save us from? What does the gospel deliver us from? Now I'm going to tell you, there's an idea out there, and it's a false idea. It's a false doctrine. And just like Paul from the Bible teaches that uh, these ideas and these false doctrines out in the world, we can disprove them by Bible. There's an idea in the world today that if you're going to make it to heaven, somebody's got to preach to you the gospel. And you've got to hear it. And you've got to believe it or accept it and trust in it. 
And then if you meet all those qualifications and you don't, and you persevere, then you'll make it to heaven. There's a lot of qualifications put on a old sinful man, isn't it? Not only for the sinful man that's got to hear and got to, got to receive and got to believe and got to persevere. It's a lot on the old preacher, the old sinful preacher that's got to go find them. And, and make sure they hear it. I'll tell you what, if that was my charge, brothers and sisters, I'd never sleep. I think I'd be taking every drug under the sun to keep me awake so I could go and tell more people about Jesus. But see, that's not the charge. If you turn over to 2 Timothy, we can disprove that false doctrine by one verse. By one verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to use three verses because I want to get a little context here, but it's the last verse that's going to prove that false. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of what our Lord testifies, what He has done, what He has accomplished. Don't be ashamed of that. He says, nor of me, His prisoner. He's saying, don't be ashamed of me either. Because see, Paul was in prison. He's not saying his prisoner because he's in prison. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was just having to be in prison. And he said, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Who, God, hath saved us. Here's another saved. But this saved right here is an eternal saved. He says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. What that means is not only has He saved you eternally, but He born you again while you live in this old world. And he says, not according to our works. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That takes that false doctrine that you've got to do this or you've got to do that. And I'm going to tell you, you can go anywhere. You can go throughout the world and there are different assignments, if you will, that people apply or put on men and women to get them to heaven. But this one simple verse right here says, not according to our works. So works, you can just take the word works out and you can fill in the blank. Not according to your belief. Not according to your acceptance. Not according to your baptism. Not according to your perseverance. Not according to you hearing the gospel. uh, Not according to any of that. Because those are all works. He saved us eternally by the blood. It's by the blood. He says, and it was according to His, God's own purpose and grace. You want to know how you get to heaven? It's because God wants you to be in heaven. It's according to His purpose. It's according to His grace. He says, which was given us. This is something that was given to us. And it says it was given to us in Christ Jesus, notice this, before the world began. Go back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. It was before that. 
That's when you were secure in Jesus Christ, in God, before that. Isn't that amazing? That, that takes us completely out of the picture, doesn't it? Well, I mean, we're in the picture. It's talking about us, but it takes every work, every good work, all that, which we are supposed to maintain. <laughs> we're supposed to be careful to maintain on the good works. That's our charge, but that doesn't gain us anything in eternity, but it gains us a lot here, and that's what we're fixing to get to. But notice this. He says, It was given to us in Jesus Christ before the world began, but now is made manifest, or it's made known to us. See, I think about the, them old apostles that, that walked around, them sinful men that walked around with Jesus for you know, His three and a half year earthly ministry. You know, at that time, the only books, the only scrolls that they had were the Old Testament. The only thing that they had was the law. They didn't have New Testament writings. They would write them. But they didn't have that yet. And they were learning. And they did. The Holy Spirit inspired them to write from Matthew to Revelation. Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write what he wrote. And Mark and Luke and John and Jude, James, and then eventually Paul. And now today we have this New Testament. We have the revelation from God telling us of new things. It's now made known to us. And it began by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's when it began. Notice it says, who hath abolished death? You remember that accomplishment? That was the accomplishment. He abolished death and hath brought life and immortality. Notice this, to light through the gospel. That's what the gospel does. The gospel turns the light on. If we were, it's, it's pretty cloudy up there today, if we were to turn all the lights out and there were no windows in this church and you walked in the back door and you were trying to get from back there or you know there to there, but you'd never been in here before, so you didn't know exactly where everything was, what would you be doing? You'd be walking real carefully, wouldn't you? But isn't it wonderful? It's a wonderful thing that the Lord has given His Word to us. He has turned the light on through His Word, this Gospel, this good news, and now we can see where things are placed. But it's our responsibility to get into this Word to find out where things are placed. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And I want to look at this salvation. Now we just talked about eternal salvation now we're going to go back to what I like to consider time salvation. And if you don't believe in time salvation, go read Hebrews chapter 4. Where it talks about that great high priest we have. And the one that we can come to His throne of grace in time of need. It says where we can find grace in time of need. <coughs> I'll tell you what, I need grace walking through this world, folks. I need grace walking my days and my life. And each of y'all do too. I need salvation. I need deliverance. I need instruction and righteousness to get me through my days. And it comes through 
this book called the gospel. The gospel saves, folks. It saves us. And I want us to consider this morning a few ways, and I'm going to tell you I will not exhaust this subject this morning. It's an exhaustible subject. Because see, each and every one of us live a different walk. My wife and I, as close as we are, we live, in a sense, two different walks. She's got her job, i got mine. She's got her calling, I've got my calling. She's got her wants and desires, I've got my wants and desires. But yet, we're one flesh. (laughs) We need deliverance. We need to be saved. And he says, you are saved in this gospel if you keep in memory. There's a condition. There are conditions tied to this salvation. Notice there were no conditions tied to eternal salvation because that happened before the world began. But in this salvation, there are conditions. And he says, the first condition is, is we must keep this in memory. The things that we learn of God, the things that we learn of ourselves, the things that we, we, we work on, we have to keep those things in memory. I know each and every one of you has went through hardships in your life. My six-year-old down here probably doesn't know just a whole lot about hardships other than the one her daddy gives her across her backside. But that's a hardship to her. Because she was doing something I didn't want her to do, and she learned the hard way. But see, the older we get, like my oldest, she don't really get many whoopings anymore. She does some, but not quite as much. Because see, now we talk more. When she goes through trials and tribulations and hardships in her time now, and when she gets scared, when she gets worried, like last night when the tornado sirens went off and she freaked out, <clears throat> she comes running to Daddy and now we talk. At least we try. And we talk. And I have to remind her, I have to keep in memory for her to keep looking to the Lord. We don't worry about the storm. We don't get caught up looking at the storm because we'll become like who, Anna? Remember, Peter. (laughs) Peter walked on water when he was looking at Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, folks. When we're looking at Jesus, we can walk on water. But when we take our eyes off Jesus and we look back at the storm, what happens? We begin to sink. But praise the Lord, He's always there. And when we begin to sink, we can yell out, Save me! And He'll grab us. This gospel saves. I want to look at one thing it saves us from. The first, if you will, this morning. It saves us from misery. This book that we've talked about a little bit, this Corinthian letter, here in chapter 15, that's what Paul was addressing. He was addressing this idea that there was no resurrection. And he says just a couple of verses down here in verse 19, of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He's saying if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you don't believe that after this life ends, that you go to be with the Lord, if you just think in this life is all there is, and once you die, that's it. There's nothing else. He said, you're going to be miserable. 
But this Gospel tells us that's not true. This Gospel tells us that when we draw our last breath, we what? We are present with the Lord. To be with Him forever. That's a wonderful thought for us that still live here and, and have loved ones that have gone to be with the Lord. You know, obey, that was one of the biggest concerns he had for his loved ones that had died over in Africa because they taught him that they were all in hell. And that was hard on him. But see, when he was revealed, when the Lord found it to be that time that a preacher would come along and preached some truth to him, and he got in here and got to reading for himself, his, he was saved. He was saved from that ignorance. He just didn't know any better. And I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of God's children out there today that just don't know any better. But I'm going to tell you what, that's the second thing I want us to consider this morning, is the Gospel saves us from ignorance. If we go back over here to Romans... Chapter 10, that was one of Paul's greatest desires for his fellow countrymen. You know, Paul was a, he was a Jew. He was from, uh, you know, he, he was an Israelite. You remember, he was brought up uh, in the Jewish religion at the feet of Gamaliel, a doctor. I mean, he had an amazing education. And education, because we're, we're talking about ignorance here. But what does Paul pray? In chapter 10 of Romans, verse 1, he said, Brethren, I like that. He goes right back. I'm talking to you, brethren. He says, My heart's desire. This is something that Paul yearned for in his soul. Because he knew it was going to take God. He knew that no matter how long he preached to them, how long he, he chased after them and, and tried to beat them over the head with this book, and convince them and persuade them he knew it was going to take God, so he prayed. He said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, my country. I think about this when I think about America. I, I really do. I have the same desire. I have the same prayer for America today, my countrymen. That what? That they might be saved. Is he talking about eternal salvation? Well, let's keep reading. He says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Well, that right there tells me he's not talking about eternity. Because they have a zeal of God. They have fruits of the Spirit. They have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance. They have these fruits of the Spirit. He can see it in them. But it says, But not according to to knowledge. They don't know the things that are here. They don't know that the things that, that God was showing to Paul, they didn't know those things. All they knew was the law. And notice the next verse, he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. They just didn't know any better. And he wanted them to know better. And he, was, he, he had this great desire for them to know better. He says, they just don't know any better. 
And they're going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. When we submit ourselves to God and His righteousness, and we put all of what we think we're about in the rearview mirror, and we keep God in front of us in the focus, I'm going to tell you what, that saves us from ignorance. That means the Lord will begin to show you things. Now, He's not going to just give it to you all at once. I'm going to tell you, folks. He's not. But He'll begin to show you things in your daily life. Things that you've never considered. The Lord will tap you on your shoulder and you'll be like, you'll see something or consider something. And the Lord will give it to you. And that's the very beginning. And I'm going to tell you what, and if you'll praise Him for it, He'll give you more. And if you'll praise Him for that, He'll give you more. Now, I'm going to tell you, if He shows you something and you don't give Him praise for it, he's in, he, he might not show you anything else. But I, I truly believe this morning, if you give Him praise and you give Him honor, and you don't have to, you don't have to do it in, a, in an audible way, you can just stop and in your soul, say, thank you, Lord. I've never seen that. And without you, I know I would have never seen it. Thank you for showing me that. I honor you. I, somehow, I want to honor you. The Lord appreciates that. Just like when my children do it. When I try to teach my young ones something, which is all the time, and they take heed to what I'm trying to teach them, and then they come across something and, and maybe during their day or whatnot, but they come home and they say, Daddy, you, you remember when you told me that I need to do this or I need to act like this or I need to behave like this. Well, guess what? I had a, I had a hard day today and this is what happened, but this is how I reacted. I remember what you taught me. That brings honor to me, does it not? It brings honor to my name. And it makes me pleased with their actions. And you know what that does? It makes me want to give them more blessings. That's the way our Heavenly Father works. So this Gospel, it saves us from misery. It saves us from ignorance. Did you know this Gospel saves us from worry? Are y'all a bunch of worriers? <laughs> You know, worry, <laughs> worrying can be, worrying can lead us in a lot of different directions. Worrying is a sin, by the way. Worry can lead us in a lot of different directions. And I think it's a tool of the devil. Because what he does through worry is, I, in a way, he'll, he'll, he'll bring it back around and he'll, Use it to make us be self-centered. How many of us are self-centered today? How many of us when we're going about our daily lives, we're not really worried about anybody or anything else around us. We're only worried about me. How much money I can make. What I can achieve. What vain glory I want men to give me praise over. That's being self-centered. I want to ask you this. What happens when none of that happens? 
What happens when you want to aspire to be great and it doesn't happen? What happens when you desire to have the dream job or, uh, you know, the dream? You can fill in the blank. It can be children. It can be a spouse. It can be a job, a career, a house, land, a hunting spot. Fill in your dream. What if your dream does not come to pass? You know what happens then? Self-pity. You'll throw a pity party for yourself. And I'm going to tell you, self-pity is one of the most dangerous mindsets that you can ever enter into. Because I'm going to tell you, self-pity is something that I truly believe the devil uses our nature against us because we enjoy having pity on ourselves. And we want others to join in and say, oh, you have it so bad. And that feeds the flesh. And it puts you in the wrong mindset because now you have completely taken your eyes off God and you're only looking at self. Turn with me to John. Over here in John chapter 16, the Lord makes this statement. He says, These things have I spoken unto you. I don't, I don't have time. Y'all can go home and read it. I, I encourage you to. He says, These things have I spoken unto you that you... No, oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. That in me... Alright, catch this. this. This is the context of what we're going to read. It's in me, in Jesus Christ, you might have peace. I brought these things unto you that in me you might have peace. I'm going to tell you folks, life is not going to go perfect. As many of you have already figured out. Life is not perfect. In fact, the majority of life is the opposite of perfect. This is something that will come to your realization probably around age 12, which you'll be in about a week. That's why she's learning these things. Life is not perfect. The things that she wants, she wants, Anna, I'm talking about Anna at the moment. Anna wants to be, she's in cheerleading, loves cheerleading. And she desires greatly to be a flyer. She cares nothing about being a base. And I have been trying to prep her. Now look, you're getting taller. You're getting older. She was a flyer in fifth grade, sixth grade. Now she's going into seventh grade. And I was, I was trying to prep her. Anna, you might not be a, a flyer this year. You might be a base. And she's just getting all down, getting all down. Oh, I don't want to be a base. Well, I'm going to use the word luck. She got lucky. She got to be a flyer this year. It went her way. Don't get used to it. Life usually doesn't go our way. All these folks here know. Now it's wonderful when it does. But see, there's a point to it. If life always went our way, 
Would we be God-focused or us self-centered-focused? See, when life goes our way, that means we don't need God. What do I need God for when everything that I want just keeps happening? It keeps going my way. What do I need God for? But see, it's when life doesn't go the way that you expected it. That's when you'll find yourself headed to God. And that's what He wants. That's what He desires. So don't think when the world's beating you down that it's God being mean to you. No, it's God drawing you back to Him. He says, I'm telling you these things that you might have peace. I'm telling you these things this morning that you might have peace. Because why? Listen to what Jesus finishes up this chapter with. He says, in the world, in the world, out there, He says, you shall have tribulation. You're going to have hard days. It doesn't say you... You know, it's not a maybe. It's not a, if you do this, then you won't. No, he says, you shall have tribulation. There's no if, ands, buts about it. It's a definite. You shall have it. But he says, but be of good cheer. You can't be of good cheer, folks, unless you got peace about something. And Jesus Christ is our peace. Amen. He's our peace. He accomplishes things that we can't accomplish. He accomplished something that we couldn't accomplish. That's why we must always be focusing on Him. When we take our eyes off, just like Peter just began to sink, I'm going to tell you what, we'll begin to sink in our lives. But cry unto Him, and He'll reach down and grab you. He says, you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's the only one that's overcome the world. Jesus Christ. So this Gospel, what we've been reading, what we've been going through this morning, this good news, folks, this is good stuff. It's going to save us from misery. It's going to save us from worry, from doubt. From being self-centered, from self-pity, from ignorance. You know what a saves from bondage too. We talked a little bit about that at the very beginning. When we want to start adding things to our eternal salvation, it 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 creates bondage in our life. Over here in Galatians, you know that's that's what the Galatians struggled with. That was their biggest struggle is because they had received grace, but they were trying to go back to the law. They were trying to go back to works. And, you know, Paul even says that to him. He says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Do you know there's another gospel out there? He said, but which is not another. But it's a false gospel. It's a false doctrine. It's this doctrine that says that, well, you're saved by grace, but you perfect that in yourselves. You perfect that by your works. And that's what he says here. He says, you know, 
how do you begin in the spirit and then perfect it in the flesh? You don't. That's not right. It's a bondage. And then in chapter five, he says this: "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Liberty is freedom." He says, "Stand in liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free." Do you know you've been made free this morning? But how have you been made free? I guess y'all weak now. Have y'all been made free? It says the truth shall make you free. It doesn't say the truth shall set you free. It says the truth shall shall make you free. You've been made free this morning. He says, so stand in this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. <clears throat> this, this gospel, it saves us from bondage. But out of time, I'm going to give you one more. I want to close with a thought. It will save you from looking to the world for answers. This is something that I... I sometimes struggle with. I'm not going to say all the time, but I find myself struggling with it sometimes. Because see, I forget. And we started, if you keep in memory. (laughs) But I forget. We forget, don't we? And sometimes when I go through something that I'm not acquainted with, instead of going straight to the Lord, I try to figure it out for myself. I try to maybe make a few phone calls, not to spiritual men, but to men I know in the world that are wealthy to do guys. I, you know, guys, I think I've got it figured out. And I'll call them. Hey, what, 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 you ever seen this? You ever had this? What'd you do? And it's amazing. Most of the time they said, no, I've never dealt with that. Call so-and-so. So I'll call so-and-so. Hey, you ever dealt with this? No, never heard of that one. Call so and so, and I'll keep trying men, and it's amazing. They all say no, never dealt with that. Call so and so. You know who has dealt with it, folks? The Lord has. I don't know why in the world sometimes I'm so stubborn or so ignorant. That I just don't think of going to God first. No, I got to go through my list. And then when they give me another name, I'll, I'll go try them out. And then it'll hit me. It will finally hit me. The Lord will tap me on, on the shoulder and say, when are you going to call me? When are you going to pray to me? When are you going to ask me? And then I'll be severely convicted. And then I'll go to my God. And I'm going to tell you folks, I'm thankful God's merciful. He doesn't have to give me an answer. 
He doesn't have to give me grace in the time of need. He doesn't have to have mercy on this old sinner. But I'm going to tell you what, He is a loving, long-suffering God. And He loves His children, just like I love my children. My children don't always come to me when they're seeking answers. Sometimes they go to their friends. Sometimes they go other places. But what a sweet moment it is when they do finally do come to me. And they can't get it figured out. And it's so simple. You know, our problems are so simple to God. And he can, ta- he can make ways, folks. I love that song we listened to it on the way up here. He makes seas and highways. <laughs> we can't see stuff like that. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, they got to the Red Sea. They couldn't see that was a highway, but God could. But that was a highway. For over a million people to walk across on dry ground, all they could see was a sea. It was a highway. Sometimes we can't see that. We can't see around the corner, but God can. In Hebrews 13, it says this, let your conversation, which means manner of life, let your conversation or your manner of life be without covetousness. Don't covet other people's stuff. Don't covet other people's life, what they have, their material things, their children, their spouse. Don't covet it. You live your own life. Be thankful for what the Lord has given you. He says, and be content with such things as you have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'll tell you what, if we could keep our eyes on that, if we could keep our eyes on the Lord has told me, His child, that He will never leave me, He will never forsake me. I think I could find a little contentment in my life. <clears throat> he says, so that we may boldly say. This is something we can be bold about and tell others about. The Lord is my helper. Do y'all t- are y'all proud? I, you know, I don't want to use the word proud. Yeah. Is that something that resonates in your soul this morning? That the Lord is your helper? Has the Lord brought you through things? Has the Lord inspired you to do things? Has the Lord inspired you to maybe not only read His Word, but pray for the brethren? Has the Lord inspired you to come to church? Has the Lord inspired you to sing to Him, to worship Him, to exalt Him? If He has, you can say the Lord is my helper. Because that doesn't come naturally, folks. That doesn't come from the flesh. That only comes from the Spirit. It says, so that we may say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Fear. That's something that we've struggled with here lately over the past year or two. The Gospel will save you from fear. And I want to end with one verse, two verses, I'm sorry, two verses, Ephesians. And I apologize for jumping around this morning. I hope you were taking notes. Ephesians chapter 3. And I want, I want to leave you with this. And I want you to consider this as we go, if we leave here. I hope you all stay. We're having lunch. Yeah, hey, we're having lunch. Don't go anywhere. I want you all to think about this. This, this really resonates with me personally because I'm going to tell you what, a lot of times I find myself trying to 
trying to find the words in my own head to talk to God. I try to find myself, Josh, just pray. Just call on God. But my mind fails when I go to pray. And I don't have the words. I feel like I've got a heart. I've got a lot of intent, but I don't have the words. Ephesians chapter 3. If any of these things we've talked about this morning, maybe you're struggling with, I don't know. I don't know your personal life. I don't come knocking on your doors. I'm not going to go inspect your skeletons in your closet. It's not my job. My job is to, I hope, preach what the Lord's laid on my heart. And I hope it's a message that's touched you this morning. If it has, again, give God the glory. But he says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, now unto him, that's God. Now unto God, that is able. We don't understand how able he truly is. But he is able. But notice what he's able, what Paul says here to the church of Corinth. It says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'm going to tell you what, folks. Highlight it in your Bible if you got it. I'm glad that verse is in my Bible. This Bible, this good news, that right there is good news to me, folks. And I'm glad it's in there. I can't tell you how many times that my thoughts have escaped me. I can't tell you how many times when I'm trying to think on the Lord, other thoughts come into my mind that I don't want there. And I like how he uses these adjectives. He says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above. (laughs) I like that. I like that. You know, Isaiah 55 tells us his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. I'm thankful for that, folks. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That power, that ability, it's working in you. That's Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. It's in you. And you're in Him. That's amazing. Those are just mind-blowing thoughts to me. He says, unto Him, Jesus, be glory. Notice this. In the church. Y'all catch that? Y'all catch that? We're the church, folks. You are the church. He says, unto Him, be glory in the church. Notice it's by Christ Jesus. (laughs) Do you know you can't glory in God unless it's by Jesus Christ? Without Jesus, you can't glory in God. He says, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. (coughs) I hope this morning this has been a message of encouragement, first off. Well, first off, I hope it's been a message that's given God glory. That's first off. Second off, I hope it's been an encouragement to each and every one of you. And if it has, again, give God the praise for it. 
He's the one that deserves the praise. He's the one that deserves the glory. And if you find yourself struggling in life, remember, that's not God beating you down. That's God drawing you back to Him. May the Lord bless you is my prayer.